I've often thought that maybe I should start singing at the beginning of these episodes. I have a beautiful voice. My kids tell me all the time how wonderful I am at singing. (laughs) Actually, I'm really, really, really good at lip syncing. And most of the time I forget the words. I, I, I know the chorus to most songs, at least the songs that I like. However, I guess I'm probably not going to start singing at the beginning of these episodes. So if you want to hear me sing, you'll have... <laughs> you can't hear me sing anywhere. Every now and then, maybe. But it's a new episode of the Energy is Love podcast episode, something or another, 100 and something. I don't remember anymore. And I like to talk to the person that perhaps this is the first episode of the podcast you are about to listen to. Congratulations for finding it. Remember, you can find all of our episodes at energieslovepodcast.com or through any podcasting app out there. We're available everywhere, including YouTube. I just discovered as well that Google finally came out with a podcasting app. And of course, you can find the Energy is Love podcast there. So if you are an Android user, which I am, I don't like Apple shit. But if you go to the App Store, type in Google Podcasts, download that app, and then type in Energy is Love podcast, you can subscribe, download, listen, share, all that good stuff right from that new app. Finally, Google, good job. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Refinery Barbershop. I have some crazy, long-ass, curly, froey hair, and one day I'm going to get it trimmed. I don't know when that day will come, but I'm sure at some point that day will come, and when it does come, I'm going to go down to the Refinery Barbershop. They are located in Springville, Utah, and I'm going to have them trim it up just right. They also do beard trimming, shaving, hot towels, straight razor shaves, the whole nine yards. It's like a man's barbershop. Not that there's anything wrong with other types of barbershops, but this is like a man's barbershop. This is where you're going to go and get treated to a wonderful, relaxing experience and walk away looking dapper, looking handsome, looking trim and fit. It's going to take 15 years off your life. I don't know if we can say that about the haircuts, but it's a wonderful spot. Go to therefinerybarbershop.com. You can also find them on Facebook, Instagram, all those other kind of places that that you can typically find things. Go show them some love. And when you pop in for your haircut, make sure you let them know that you heard about them on this podcast, this one right here. So I have a deep-seated, like rooted in my core to some extent, passion for helping people. It's something that I've done my entire life in one way, shape, or form. What I'm really, really passionate about and what I really enjoy doing is working with men. I help men in connecting to themselves. I help them in expanding their existence. I help them in realizing some of the places that they may be struggling in life, some of the things that they may be dealing with, uh, putting it all into perspective and realizing that they simply have to slow down and connect to their emotions first and foremost, which then has this amazing effect that kind of bleeds over into every other aspect of their life. So it's what I'm passionate about. It's what I'm good at. If you are interested and you want to find out more, perhaps you want to uh, work directly one-on-one with me, please reach out. You can email me at craig at energyislovepodcast.com. You can also go to our website and find out a little bit more information as well. So on today's episode, I had the wonderful opportunity of speaking with Marina Pearson. Marina lives in Spain, so this is one of those uh, long-distance recorded through the wonderful technological advancement of the internet type episodes. They're fun. I haven't done one in a while. I really wanted to talk to Marina, so it was a wonderful opportunity. Marina is a coach herself, and she works kind of directly and specifically with women, uh, moms in business, basically bouncing and creating an effortless lifestyle 
where you can have it all in a sense. But it was a fun episode, and Marina was very open and honest about her life and her journey, and it's really amazing. It's really profound. She talks about going all the way back to uh, 14, 15 years old, where she started struggling with some depression and some different things, coping with alcohol and drugs throughout her life, a suicide attempt at one point, just a really raw and real story about where she came from and where she's at today and what she does. And it's really fascinating and it's inspiring. There's lots of really good chunks of information throughout the episode, so I'm excited for you guys to listen. Marina also hosts her own podcast. It's called The Joy of Being Podcast. You can find it at iTunes. You can also find it in the show notes. So if you go to each of these episodes, obviously have little tiny descriptions and notes in them. If you go there, you can find the links to her website, to her podcast. You can also find them from our Facebook page if you go and check them out there. But I highly recommend it. Remember, it's called The Joy of Being Podcast. She's a lot of fun. It was a fun interview. It's a good episode. Thank you, Marina, for taking the time. But go to her website. It's marinapearson.com. You can find all of her information there. I highly recommend that you follow her. Go check out some of her stuff. And if you are so-called and inclined, don't just listen to her podcast, but reach out, connect with her. I think you'd benefit. And for now, wonderful, beautiful people out there in the universe that are listening to the podcast for the universe, sit back and relax, turn it up, and enjoy this wonderful episode with Marina Pearson. Here we go. You're listening to the Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is the love podcast. The Energy is love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is love podcast. The podcast for the universe. The Energy is love podcast. Oh, okay. (laughs) Now we're ready finally. So good evening. It's like 10 o'clock there, right? Yeah, yeah, it's 10 o'clock there. And tell me where you're at again. So that we in where? Yeah, in Javier. I'm on the east coast of Spain and between Alicante and Valencia. How long have you lived there? I've lived here for two and a half years. Um, I lived in Bali previously for 14 months. Then uh, we came back to the UK for about six months and then we came here. Is it beautiful there? I can't even imagine. Yeah, it's, it's it's really quite stunning. It has beach and it also has mountains. So my house is literally, it looks at the mountain um, and then it's got mountains in the distance and then literally like 10 minutes away from here, you've got the beach. So yeah, it's really stunning. And it's it's really interesting because Spain is, is, is actually quite arid um, sort of in the, in, you know, when you go f- further south of Madrid, uh, but this area is actually quite a green, lush area, but it has arid mountains. So you've got the contrast of the green and, and, and the brown. And yeah, it's just it's just really, really beautiful. Well, you can't beat it if you've got mountains and ocean right in the same spot. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can't really. So um, it is it is a wonderful, wonderful spot. So before we get going too far into, because I've got a lot of stuff that I want to talk to you about, but one of the first things that I always ask guests right off the bat is um, I like to talk about what issues and struggles you've had throughout your life in regards to mental health and your mental balance. So um, my journey with that started when I was about 
about 12, 13. Um, and I found myself, um, I went to a new school and I found myself in a very precarious situation with regards to the way I felt about me. So um, to give you some context, I'd been, you know, I went to boarding school at the age of eight and I'd, and I'd been boarding for about five years back in the UK. And, and then from there, I kind of stepped out into this new world of being at a different school. And, you know, when you're 13, 14, you're very impressionable, at least I was anyway. And I had these high hopes about, you know, being very popular and uh, all these dreams that I had in my head about how life would be once I actually got to this new school. And I'd really bigged it up in my own head about who I would be friends with and how it was the best school for me. And so when it turned out that it wasn't like that at all, um, not only did, was I really disappointed, but I started to feel very, very depressed. And... This was very new to me, and I didn't understand what was going on. So by the age of about 15, I was already um, drinking quite a bit, and I was all, and I also kind of stopped eating. So I had both of those things going on, and I actually found that not eating was a way to just focus on not eating as opposed to all of the other voices in my head, voices that, you know, were very mean, very cruel, and very dark, I guess. So by the age of about 15 and a half, I was already having suicidal thoughts. I, I didn't want to carry on. I didn't understand why others around me uh, were not feeling the way I was because every, every day was really dark for me. I, I just didn't understand how people could be happy when I wasn't. So I kind of made up a whole bunch of beliefs about who I was and uh, why I was why I was the problem. So um, I didn't really talk to anybody about that at all. Um, I kept it to myself, and I also uh, was bullied at school, teased um, about my weight, even though I wasn't all that you know I was normal weight. But I had a big complex about. What, what I looked like, um, the weight I was, you know, the weight I had. And so not eating seemed like a perfect good way to uh, to resolve that issue. And I kind of started to create all of these beliefs about myself around, um, well, you know, if I'm thin, I'm lovable. Um, you know, being fat, I'm not lovable, I'm not popular. So... By the time I left school at the age of 18, I wasn't, a, I wasn't in a particularly great place. Uh, I was drinking a lot, I was smoking a lot, and I was feeling very lost. Um, I took a year out and uh, I went and traveled and I you know, went with a boyfriend and we broke up and it was you know, really difficult for me to to deal with that and then I after that year I went back to I went to university and the first year of university was a real struggle for me but I I managed to get myself into drugs which seemed to uh, alleviate um, my suffering so I would smoke a lot of weed do a lot of ecstasy and go clubbing a lot and I 
you know, at the time didn't realize that the way I was feeling um, had any, I thought it was the environment I was in. I thought it was because I was, uh, it was me, like as in I was a bad person. I didn't realize at the time that, that my feelings were just letting me know about my thinking in the moment. And so looking back, I could see that I'd always been quite restless. Like, you know, I'd get home and I'd always want to, um, the first thing I'd want to do is call a friend, you know, and if they never, if they didn't call me back, I would worry that they didn't like me. Um, it would create a whole bunch of insecurity for me. So I was the type of child or person to come home and then not really want to be at home for very long. You know, I'd phone my friends and want to go out and I was, I was finding it very difficult to be with myself. So um, drugs and going out and partying seemed like the perfect recipe to forget and escape who I was. And uh, so when I, I, the first year at uni, as I said, was quite difficult in the sense that I didn't really find people that I really resonated with. I just found people I could do drugs with. Um, until I decided to go clubbing in Liverpool, which is about four hours away from where I was at uni. And I found a group, of, I went clubbing one night and I found a group of people that I really resonated with. We went back to their halls of residence and I realized that I didn't want to be in Southampton anymore and that Southampton was the problem. The university I was at was the problem, not me. So I decided to reapply and move from Southampton University up to Liverpool. And in the last term of being at Southampton, I met someone and we started going out. Now, he was a very popular guy in his year. Um, he had a really cool bunch of friends. And I just suddenly felt like I'd found, like, I was suddenly happy again, you know. And it looked to me that, that my happiness was coming from being in a relationship. And my happiness was coming from having actually found a group of people that I really resonated with. And... So we carried on the relationship after university and then basically towards the end of the summer, he, he sort of turned around and said he didn't want to be with me anymore. And that was a really big blow for me because now looking back, I could see that I thought my happiness depended on me being in a relationship with him. So I went back to university, but this time to the new university up in Liverpool. And that's when I really hit rock bottom. Um, I wasn't eating um, hardly at all by that point I was drinking way too much and I was doing you know drugs every week and I and I was doing it all because I wanted to escape the way I was feeling about myself and you know the conversation I was having in my head at the time was it's all my fault that's the reason why he broke up with me um, I should never have left um, and he was actually he decided to go up to Liverpool University, uh, up to Liverpool to club, uh, to go clubbing. And I went clubbing to the same nightclub that night and I knew he was coming. And, you know, it was just, that just sent me into a tailspin. So a few days later, I just decided that life wasn't really worth living. And I went and bought some sleeping pills and decided that that was it. I was done. And I remember, I don't know, like Craig, if, if you've, 
been through really intense time in your life and it just seems like it only happened yesterday but for me it seems like it's only happened yesterday because I remember it so vividly um I was lying there waiting for the sleeping pills to kick in and I suddenly heard this very loud voice inside of me say what the fuck are you doing <laughs> get up go downstairs and tell someone what you've done and go to the hospital and it was really clear it was like so clear it was clear as a bell for me and so I got up I went downstairs I told someone what I what had happened and I went to I was I went to the hospital how old were you at the time uh 21 21 and so I want to go back a little bit because you talked about um when you were a teenager like was like 14 or 15 when you started drinking um, was that just kind of as a coping mechanism to deal with the, like the depression that you were experiencing or were there other kind of, uh, catalysts for it, I guess, in a sense? Um, I, at the time, well, well, it was just what people were doing. So, but it seemed to me like a great idea because it seemed to help, um, cloud the voices in my head and also, um, it leveled the playing field with popular girls. So, you know, we'd go out and um, I'd find myself in a group of girls that, that were really popular. And so, you know, we would drink together. Um, and so it was almost like, yes, uh, it was a way to cope, but it was also a way to feel like I was part of something that I wasn't so alone, and like feeling so lonely. Yeah, that way to kind of fit in with everybody, huh? Yeah. Did you have any, so. like, because I think this happens all the time where people will, um, especially like when they're teenagers, right? When life is so hard and so difficult and so challenging anyhow. But at what point do you think you ever had recognition or awareness of like, perhaps, um, oh, not that there was something wrong with you, but that you were struggling with something as opposed to just the daily struggle of, you know, trying to get through life. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I think after the the suicidal attempt, the suicide attempt, that was pretty much like the rock bottom hit. And then um, I realized that something had to change, but I wasn't sure what. So it was a bit of a wake-up moment for me um, because I had to really face something that I didn't want to have to deal with, which was to go back home and actually be with my parents and actually be on my own. So all of my friends were at uni at that point, but I just couldn't cope. I had to go home and just be. So for the first two months, it was really, really challenging for me because I couldn't escape myself, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, um, but I actually was lucky enough to uh, speak to a cousin of mine who was making a lot of sense because he'd actually been through quite a few different you know, he'd experienced depressive moments in his life. And he shared something with me that kind of, at the, at the time I didn't realize it was an insight, but looking back on it now, I realized there was something really what he was saying, which is my life was outwardly, like all of my happiness and self-worth was based on outwardly things. So, um, what people thought of me, 
um, what they were doing, what, what they weren't doing, um, how they were being towards me, that sort of thing. And he said to Marina, you know, you've got to find your own internal world. And that really struck a chord because I really could see that I found it really, I was finding it really difficult just to be, you know, just to be on my own. So, um, because I couldn't handle being with my own thoughts, it was really, really hard for me to be on my own. If, if, if I was with other people, at least it was a distraction. I didn't have to be with my thinking on my own because it was very, very dark. So um, that made a lot of sense to me. And, and so when I was, after the sort of those two initial months of cold turkey, of, 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 of really confronting something, really confronting, I, I realized that I needed to find my own internal world. So I actually bought some books that, you know, I bought How to Heal Your Life by Louise Hay, um, you know, The Secret Message Down Under, uh, the way of the peaceful warrior, uh, the Tao of Piglet, the Tao of Pooh. And at the time, I didn't realize that these were, you know, spiritual books per se, but they made a lot of sense to me. And um, I also read the mo the uh, Diary of Motorcycle Maintenance. Um, and so all of which are based on spiritual teachings and they really resonated for me. Had you and had I, any, um, had you had any kind of influence in regards to whether it was spirituality or religion or any, any of that kind of stuff up to that point in your life, or was this all brand new information? Brand new information. I'd gone down the, oh, let's talk about your problems route through psychologists or whatever, but I never really felt that that was helping me at all. I was on antidepressants, um, and I just never really felt that that helped me at all. But there were certain people in my, I'd met certain people at universities at the Southampton who, one of which was Rachel, and she pointed me in the direction of this book, The Tale of Piglet, The Tale of Pooh. So I started reading it. And I really absolutely loved it because every character in, in the book points to a certain character in life. So, you know, you have Piglet who is, the small but very powerful me. You've got Pooh, who is being in the moment. You've got Eeyore, and I and I really identify myself with Eeyore. You know, that the, the 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 donkey that um, has a big cloud over its head. But what I realised by reading this book was that um, that there was an alternative. That I didn't have to stay being an Eeyore. That I could actually turn into a piglet or a I could be something else. And so um, there was a lot of healing that happened during that time for me. And I started to paint glass. Um, so I did a lot of glass painting because I realized that I had to learn to be on my own. I had to learn to actually like being with myself. Um, and it was actually a really, 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 really important part of the process for me, which I did at the time didn't didn't know. At the time, I was really resistant to it, but it was a very important part of it too for me, so that I could actually start to get used to being by myself and actually realizing that I didn't need to be so scared of it. What did you find so like? What were you so resistant to? Just you know the thinking that I was in. It was so 
so like full on you know I was really mean to myself and you know like uh, for example if friends didn't call me back it was because I was horrible and mean and unkind and just a fuckwit and not someone that, that should be likable I was very unlovable you know I had all of these beliefs about myself that just weren't true but I thought they were living living with that living in that reality was very hard for me because what I really wanted just was peace and happiness like anybody right I just had never really considered that that was a possibility for me because I'd been living in this angst for since I was 13 so when when I when my mother stepped in and said look I want you to go to Salamanca for like two months. Um, there was an opportunity for me to just to revive myself, to have a bit of a rebirth, if you will. And I, I didn't call it that way. But what I what I realized after that time in, in Salamanca was that I felt a lot better. I felt like a new me. And it was the first time I kind of even started to talk about transformation. I, you know, at the time it was unbeknownst to me that that was even possible. I had no concept of this at all. I had no concept of transformation. I had no concept of the industry. I had no concept of any of that. You know, I was just a, a young 20-year-old feeling very lost at the time. But I, I, I felt, I don't know where I heard it or if I'd been reading about it, but what I what I realized and what I remember thinking to myself was, wow, I feel very different. It's like I've transformed like the, you know, from, from a, you know, in, into a butterfly. Um, and then, uh, I went back to uni, but a very different person. And it seemed to me that I could cope with things much, much better than I used to. So it, you know, the glass painting was always what I went back to. If I was feeling slightly anxious, I would go back to my to my room and, and just paint um, because it seemed to me that I could really be with myself if I was doing that. And then over time, it didn't seem like it, it was that important to me anymore to do that. So, um, yeah, I... I uh, I guess I wasn't fully healed. There was still remnants of the eating disorder that was still there. I went back to taking drugs, but not as much. And I had a different reality that I was walking from. Yeah, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you, because I think any time, like when you go through some, like a transformation, right, or you have some sort of experience in life where things just drastically change and you think, you know, that you're on a better path or you're headed in the direction of, healing or towards where you want to be regardless of where you came from um i think undoubtedly it's really really not just easy to do so but i think it's almost kind of part of the process itself as where as well where you will just slip back into those old habits and those old routines right yeah and i did so um <laughs> i did like it um, sucks it's always frustrating but it's the reality of it <laughs> yeah and, and also you know the fact that I did, um, I wasn't the same person though. I wasn't the same person doing those drugs. Um, I was doing them again, but in a, in a very different way and for a, for a different reason. Because um, I actually started to enjoy my life, so I was doing it just for, for enjoyment. Um, not to avoid myself, which was very different from where it was coming from beforehand. 
And then um, I got into a relationship with someone. Uh, I got into a relationship with someone, and then I went off to Latin America for a year and did some traveling and, and so forth. And he came out, and relationship broke up, and um, and then went back to university. And it was the final year, and and I once again fell into a deep depression. So um, when I realized that I needed to get myself out of the habit of taking drugs, I was like, okay, enough now. I'd stopped smoking, which was amazing for me. Um, And then I also decided that I was going to leave the UK and and move to Spain. And so that's when I went to Madrid. And um, my life completely changed at that point. I... I started to work. Um, I realized that I was actually really good at what I did. And I found my feet, as it were, and I got into a relationship with someone. And the first time it felt like I was in the relationship, um, not out of a place of need, but out of a place of, yeah, I like this guy and I want to spend time with him. Um, And so... I, it felt like I was on level footing, but yet still there were certain things that were happening that weren't the old habits of not eating properly, um, still drinking quite heavily um, at the weekends, not every day. Um, so there were still remnants of the old ways of thinking, right? The old habits of thinking. And um, in the end, he left and he went over to the States and we carried on the relationship and we decided that we were going to get married when I moved over there. And, um, this is when I realized that I had some not very helpful thinking around relationships and I ended up having an affair. Uh, he found out and we we split. And once again, I went into a deep, deep hole. Um, but this time with more consciousness, like, you know, the last time I went and took the sleeping pills and I was like, I'm done, you know, 10 years later, I'm like, Oh my God, this is so painful. I need to go to the hospital for them to give me something so that I don't do anything funky. So there was a different thought process behind my actions at that point. Like I might've felt the same way, but I didn't act in the same way. Like there was a new way of thinking about it, even though I was feeling it. So, um, I admitted myself into hospital that day, little unbeknownst to me that if you do, I don't know if this is the same in, in, in I don't even, I don't know if it's the same in Europe or not. Cause I've never had, I've never done it, but what I didn't realize that was that um, if you admit yourself into hospital and they and and for 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 suicide, or at least for suicidal thoughts or wanting to kill yourself, they they have to keep you in so to make sure that you don't top yourself if you leave the, the hospital. Um, and so I didn't realize this, and and then it was like that same voice deep inside of me that 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 helped me that day, um, all those years ago to walk down that stairs and tell, you know, my, my friends what had happened to just sober up and get the hell out of there. And 20 minutes later, I convinced the doctor that I was fine and that a friend would come and pick me up and I wouldn't do anything stupid. And I didn't. 
Um, but I was still drinking heavily. Um, not as often, but when I did drink, I did drink. And that carried on really until my mid thirties. Um, until I had my son, um, Leo. And now I don't really drink. I don't, I don't really think about it. I'm eating properly. I take much better care of my health. It's actually really important to me. Um, I obviously went on a path of self-discovery because I, I went into a place of, I need to do something about this. My, my way of being doesn't really satisfy me. So I want to explore what's possible. So, you know, I've been in the personal development industry now for the last 14 years and I started coaching and I started coaching other people, um, to help them free themselves of the stresses and strains of life um but namely mums and women in business did you at any point <clears throat> excuse me did you think that like did you consider yourself an addict or an alcoholic or anything like that or was it really just um because oh, i think that those are labels obviously right and at times they're very much applicable but then I think people also go through time periods where they're drinking excessively to the point where it's no longer healthy, where it's no longer, um, you know, where it is detrimental to their life, but that's for a period of time. And then they'll come out of that period of time. And that doesn't necessarily, uh, label them or classify them as an alcoholic, even though for that short period of time, they were definitely, you know, meeting all of the criteria, I guess, in a sense. Did you feel like that at any point or was it more or less just these kind of snapshot periods throughout your life where you were using it as coping mechanisms to kind of disconnect from what you were feeling and experiencing and going through? Yeah, I never even kind of considered either of those things. I just, I just drank. I didn't really consider myself to be an alcoholic. I've never even considered myself that it was just a coping mechanism. I just drank. It was never... There was never even having, I never even had a conversation to, with myself about that, what you've just asked me. It was never, it was quite unconscious um, until, you know, I started doing, the, you know, more work on myself um, when I realized that I had this habit of thinking around alcohol. Um, and it's been quite amazing because literally as I've done the work and I've become more quiet, inside um like i used to buy you know a bottle of wine every night or i used to buy you know alcohol and have always have it in the home and it would always get drunk now i bet i mean i live in spain right so this is the case if you're gonna drink you're gonna drink i don't buy it like i you know i rarely go into the supermarket and go yeah i really need it you know i really want a bottle of wine no not really don't don't you know, on occasion, we'll have a, you know, a glass of wine for dinner. It's not something that, that occurs to me much. It's not something that really occurs to me at all, in fact. Um, so it's been really interesting as I've quietened down, as I've insightfully seen where my experience is coming from and that it's always coming from my thinking and moved down that path in that direction there are certain things and habits of thinking that have just kind of 
melted away on their own. Like I've not really done anything to, to kind of go, yeah, no, I have to stop drinking. It's just how I used to be doesn't make sense to me anymore. Um, it makes no sense for me to not look after myself. It makes no sense for me to, to drink the levels of alcohol that I used to drink. It just doesn't make sense. So I guess there's been transformation there. There's been a level of consciousness there. There's been, you know, um, things that used to make sense just don't anymore. What were some of the, uh, like you, you mentioned earlier, like doing the work in a sense of, you know, this mindset and transforming into this different person. Um, what does that look like in like the practical sense? What is it exactly that you were starting to do differently in life or trying to incorporate differently or, you know, what sources of help did you get and things like that? So, um, you know, I went down the sort of therapy route and something deep inside of me was like, no, this is not useful. I would go there and I would share my story, but it never really gave me any clarity. And I would just end up navel gazing and, and just kept like ruminating over my story and, is this me? And there was a lot of self-concern, you know, about who I am, what I'm about, what happened to me as a child, and all of this sort of stuff. And I didn't find it very useful. I found it extremely, it preoccupied my mind a lot. And um, it was funny because as I, as, as I moved into this whole sphere of transformation and, and wanting to, to help others, I started off with the techniques and tools that I think most people do. Um, you know, NLP, uh, loads of other techniques and tools that are available. Um, but there was something in what I was sharing, there was something in what I was doing that had me keep searching, 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 searching. I kept searching for the next tool. I kept searching for the next thing. I kept searching for... And I didn't realize that what I was actually searching for was inner peace. I, I'd experienced it, but I kept searching. And so I remember distinctly about five years ago speaking to someone in London about saying, I know there's a truth out there. I just haven't come across it yet. But when I do, I know, I will know. And literally, like five months later, I see a quote on Facebook. And the quote says something like this. And in this game of life, we all search for ourselves. And when I say self, I'm talking about the self that created life in the first place. So if you're looking for happiness, if you're looking for tranquility, if you're looking just to have a loving and understanding life, what you're really searching for is yourself. Now, that really struck a chord with me, and it was like this moment of like, oh, because at the time I was attempting to make my business work, at the time I was running in and out of London, I was, from the outside in, it looked like I was having a great life. I was just about to get married. I just bought a house. Um, you know, my book was doing really well, but yet, I was still searching. I was still feeling anxious. I was still feeling insecure. And even though, you know, I'd made some good progress in terms of 
my eating and not drinking as much and looking after my body, there was still remnants of it. There was still a lot of insecurity that I was experiencing that was stopping me from just really just enjoying my life. And so um, I got curious about that quote. And the quote is from a guy called Sidney Banks. He was a Scottish welder who had a had an epiphany moment where he realized that um, the reason why he could experience anything in his life was because of thought, the principle of thought. And then he kind of realized that thought, consciousness, and mind, like consciousness is the fact that we're aware that we even think. And then mind is this wisdom that's deep inside of us, this wisdom that that has new thought, a new thinking that pops into our heads. Um, just like I've shared with you today, where something that made sense before makes no sense to me now. Um, so from a practical perspective, um, when I kept, when I then explored this understanding and, and found a coach and we worked together, I started to, I started to just feel differently. Nothing on the outside had changed. Um, I started to be more calm. I started to be more quiet. I found myself not wanting to drink. I found myself wanting to start to look after myself. Like, and there was, you know, there's been a journey with that, and um, I'm still on it. But I'm, I, I started to have a relationship with my body. See, for the longest time, I was so stuck in my head that I completely disregarded the fact I even had a body. Um, and so I was really fearful of finding out what kind of body I had and what kind of, what was not right with it because I was very fatigued, I was very stressed, I was very overwhelmed. But my body, I, I could sense that it wasn't in balance at all. So um, what I've, and so, you know, things like, I don't really go out anymore. Obviously, I've got my son, but I don't really go out anymore. And um, I take time out. I do yoga. I um, I just generally, I, I'm just enjoying my life a lot more. Like, just the joy of being, like, the title of my podcast is all about. It's like, just enjoying being. Um, and that was very new for me. So what does that look like? Well, it sounds like you've slowed down enough, right? It sounds like life obviously slowed down enough to where you could enjoy being and could relax and could could take the time to just kind of be present in the moment. Yes, very much so. And that is where mental health is. And I realized that all those years of struggling and darkness, all of that was just thinking a lot of overthinking a lot of this you know just I had never I'd never you know I'd no one had ever pointed me in the direction of you're only ever feeling you're thinking in the moment you're not living in the feeling of your circumstances you're living in the feeling of your thinking like to me that was such a novel way of looking at life because it basically meant that there was nothing on the outside that could give me a feeling that all of that feeling that I'd been in was being generated by my overthinking and my um, 
all of that. So to really see that insightfully see it for myself was just this extraordinary experience of, wow, that's amazing. Um, and the more I kind of explored this, the more I started to settle down the more aligned to reality I became of how life works as opposed to how I think it used to work. And the slowing down, definitely, like, um, there's space. And what used to be my norm was glimpses of, 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 of joy, you know, glimpses of it. Like there was a time when there's probably, like, I used to spend, you know, if it was a month, maybe like a day in joy, you know, and the rest of it was pretty, pretty stressful, pretty depressed. Now I would say the opposite is true, but I spend the majority of my new normal, the majority of my time is joy and, and peace and tranquility. And I get glimpses of stress, overwhelm, anxiety, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. How much of a uh, influence do you think? How old did you say your son was? He is three and a half. Three and a half. How much of an influence do you think um, having him uh, affected all of this, right? Affected your ability to kind of recognize what was important in life, obviously. And um, do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I had some profound insights when I was pregnant with Leo. And so I would say, yes, the pregnancy and then having him have been a huge source of my slowing down, definitely. Um, but I don't know if I would have had those insights regardless. So I can't say that if I'd had him or not had him, but all I know is, is what, what happened as a result of being pregnant and then having him. Um, but I can definitely tell you that the insights that I've had around who we are and where our joy comes from, that's what's profoundly shifted the way I, I experience life, not my son. Because at the end of the day, you know, I could still be stuck in that thinking. And yet, um, yeah, I could definitely still be stuck in that thinking. You know, there's a lot of people that still drink, even though they have kids. There's a lot of people that still have eating disorders, even though they have children. So one of the biggest insights, well, one of the most profound ones that I had that kind of had me kind of take my breath away was um, two of them, actually. The first one was I was lying there one evening when I was feeling very ill um, and I couldn't really move because I was just, I had really bad um pregnancy sickness I won't call it morning sickness because it seemed to last more than just the morning <laughs> and, uh, and I was just very tired um and one of these evenings when I was on my own I was like who am I when I'm just on my own and being a vessel for my son to be created and what I heard was I am and there was nothing else after the I am and I was like well I am what and and then I realized that there was nothing to put after the I am that was it the I am. And then um, that was really life-changing for me because I'd always believed that I am whatever in front of that was who I was. 
and to realize that actually who I am, that's it. And anything else I put after it was a concept or a construct or a belief that was limiting. I was like, wow, that's really cool. And then um, like a month later, it kind of was walking down the street in London and I looked down on my belly and I was like, my God, I don't really have to think about growing my son. Well, what is growing my son? It was like energy. Energy is growing my son. And then suddenly I just got this image of that energy that creates everything is creating my son. Oh, wow, he's God. Oh, wow, we're all God. Because it was suddenly like, oh, he's being created by the same energy that I was created. Oh, there's the oneness. I just never seen it like that before. I just never seen it like that before. And that oneness is love. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. And it just made me stop. And, and I had to I literally like, I had to sit down. I was like, oh my God, this is, this is, wow. That's um, some heavy shit there. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and I've had some really profound insights since then. And some insights that I don't even know that I've had, but all I will say is that we have the capacity to have insights and we've been having them all our life. It's just somebody, you know, we just haven't been told. So it was, it was this amazing moment to realize that I wasn't my body, that I, that I am energy, that, that who we really are is love and we are the energy that created everything. Um, that created the sun, the moon, the stars, we are that. And that was really, really, really profound for me. And, uh, and, and I'm so, I'm, I'm so grateful. I got to, I, I actually got to see it. You know, I, I actually got to see that and experience that, um, not as a concept, not as a construct, not as that we are all one, you know, as a flippant comment, it was literally like, I saw it. So these insights that we can all have and that we all have the capacity for really quietens the mind. It's like the mind is already set up. We already have this system in place that updates us. It's like, you know, updating the back of a computer. Do you think um, that... <clears throat> Do you think those insights, the way that you're speaking of them, do you think that they stem from some source? Do you think that we tap into some flow of energy or something like that and the idea or the insight comes to us or do you think it's all just internal in a sense where like you said earlier where we you know we are all the same thing and we come from the energy that creates energy and so on and so forth but this idea these because i when it comes to the concept of like the insight or the thought or the feeling or the emotion that you get that brings awareness to a situation or puts your life in context to a certain degree, right? Where you suddenly have new awareness about something. Do you think that that is something that is just kind of innate in us and the ability to process and it's always continually happening? We just have to get quiet enough to listen to it or at some point in our life, we tune into that frequency, I guess, where we can receive that information. I don't, like, all I can say is the experiences that I've had, and I really can't speak for anyone else, all, all I would say is that 
you know, people say get quiet and listen, but actually when, when my head's been the loudest, that's when that voice inside of me has just really sorted me out. It's really helped me. And, and, and I'm not the only one, actually. You know, there have been people I've spoken to that have really hit rock bottom. And then suddenly they, they got real clarity in that moment of what they needed to do and how they needed to do it. It's like all of their insecure thinking just dropped and they were really clear on what, what action they needed to take next at their darkest hour. So, you know, I never saw it that way. I always shared that story, those two stories, as a, well, you know, and, and that's what happened to me. But then I realized... Um, I had an awareness about the awareness of the awareness, if that makes sense. It was really interesting. It was like, oh, that's not the story. The story is that in those two instances, in the darkest moment of my life, I had a voice that came, a new thought, call it what you will, a voice, a new thought, uh, an insight that that shifted the way I was seeing it and that helped me move into a different place so for me it's a voice or, or it's a, something I see for others it might be a feeling um and do you think that that comes from like I get what you're saying completely but do you think that's all internal or do you think there's an external component to that I was actually having this very conversation with a friend of mine the other day when we were talking about it and she's like no it's external because I've I've seen ghosts and I've experienced, you know, she experienced something when she was younger that she almost drowned and she felt this force that helped her get out of the, of the swamp she was in. So for me, it's internal. Um, but I've heard stories of others seeing it, um, experiencing it externally. But for me, it's internal. Um, I hear it as a voice. I hear it as a new thought. Um, you know, what you were saying about, it, is it innate? Yes. We all have the capacity for it. In fact, we've been having insights from the day that we were born. The fact that we know how to walk, um, that would suggest that, that there's been, you know, a, a level of consciousness that's been brought about because of that. Um, the what capacity that we have to learn about new things, you know, we all have had moments where where we have done things that just make no more sense anymore. You know, like drinking, you know, when you were 15 years old, like how you used to live then and you get older and you're like, well, no way, like that makes no sense to me anymore. Or the, the, the person who has, you know, goes through massive ill health and then comes out at the other end and... Um, looks after their body and 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 then looks helps other people so we all have this innate capacity for that and we won't stop having insights until the day we die and beyond i don't know what happens afterwards but um to have seen that i'm not my thinking and that i am not my body there is something else inside of me that runs that, that runs this thing was really really useful but also to see that we all have mental health. Um, we just think we don't. And we've been labeled as depressing, you know, depression, um, anxiety, all of these things. 
But the fact that we can actually experience anything means that we have mental health. Um, anyway, that's the way I see it now. Yeah. So tell me, because you said you coach people and you help people and you're, you know, you're working with um, clients and everything like that. So how do you take somebody that may be experiencing things that were similar to your story or your journey, um, but just in general, their life is, you know, they're depressed, they're run down, their life's full of uh, drama and chaos, and they're having a very difficult time, even though they may have the desire to live a different way or to be, you know, somebody that's striving for like that transformation, but doesn't know how to get to that point. What is the, um, like, how do you help them? What is the practical things that they can do in the context of their everyday life? Because it's, it's a long journey, right? <laughs> These things don't, uh, just occur overnight sometimes in really crazy circumstances. I'm sure they do, but typically it's this nice, big, long life journey of experience continually where we just have to keep practicing everything. But what is it that you help people with? Um, if they're trying to get to that point or they're trying to work to that point or, or maybe they are, or, or, uh, maybe they are already there, but they're having a hard time maintaining that. No, I, I've mentioned already today that I actually have a podcast called the joy of being, um, where I interview, um, creators, uh, transformation professionals and so forth around how to lead a, um, a joyful life for mums and moons and mum, for a busy and overwhelmed mums in business. Um, and so, the reason why I bring that up is sometimes I just point them to that podcast so they can just listen, um, listen for themselves because I know that everybody has the capacity to, to listen and hear something for themselves. And it's in the hearing something for themselves that they then have an insight. And they've been having insights. You know, the premise is that they already have everything they need. So when somebody comes to me, I already know, I start from the perception perception that they already know they already have mental health um they they have the capacity for insight and if that's all true as i've seen it to be true in every single person that i've ever worked with um i can just share my own experiences with them and what i've noticed is at the time you know back in the day i used to do tools and techniques and and want to change their thinking. But the way I see it now is that I create the environment by which they then can start to calm down a bit. So the only problem that any of my clients are only ever up against is that they think that something other than their thinking is creating their experience. So they, they, they give me a whole bunch of reasons as to why they feel the way that they do. But what I usually do is either share stories with them or I, you know, suddenly have an insight about, you know, a new idea comes in to share a poem with them or I then um, or I then point them back to, to what is actually creating their experience because we forget. And this understanding which is an understanding it's not an application it's not something you apply it's not something you practice it's just an understanding so I always encourage them to just stay in the conversation staying in the conversation meaning 
listen to podcasts, um, listen to Sydney Banks recordings because he's actually the one that, that sort of it's amazing when you listen to him. He he speaks and it, and it takes you into a meditative state. You don't need to meditate necessarily, but it takes you into that meditative state, which allows you then to just feel a lot more calm and zen. Um, What's his name? Sydney Banks. Sydney Banks. Yeah, he was a Scottish well that had the epiphany of like everything create everything is created by thought. So. Um, what I've got to see is that if I, if I, if they just keep coming back into the conversation, as I said, listening to stuff, um, having conversations with me, um, that usually really helps them. It really supports them because this isn't something that they need to do or need to practice. Um, it's just an understanding that, that they don't need to be afraid of their thoughts. There's a really beautiful quote by Sid which says, if only people in this world wouldn't be afraid of their experience, that alone would change the world. So we often don't do things and we often do things because we're afraid of our experience because we think that the way that we feel has got something to do with our situation or our circumstances. But if we really saw that thought is fleeting it just you know sometimes we have thought storms they come in and then they leave again that's just the very nature of, of their that's just the very nature of, of how they're put together I guess is that we have these thought storms and we th see things clearly we don't see things clearly we see things clearly we don't see things clearly um that's really useful because it means that we don't actually need to do anything um and that we don't need to be afraid of our experience. So that's what I've seen with my clients. And so, for example, like, um, you know, I had a mum who she had spent years grieving her father. And, and in one session, she heard something I said. And all of that thinking just went away. It's like it, it just disappeared. She said to me, I've never felt this calm ever. I don't even know what I was talking about. It we weren't even talking about her dad. <laughs> that's that's the beauty of this is when you talk soul to soul, soul the other soul hears something. And often I don't know about you, Craig, but like I've had the most crazy insights when someone's just said something. It's like a throwaway comment, and I suddenly hear something for me in, in that for a throwaway comment. But that throwaway comment wasn't even talking about the very thing that I was feeling insecure about. They were talking about something completely different. But I hear hear it differently for myself. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I mean, you'll always have that where, <clears throat> you know, it'll trigger something. It'll trigger a memory or a thought or an experience or something like that, like you said, that's completely outside of the context of the conversation. But yet it has such resonance for you in that moment. Yeah, and so I'll give you an example of that. Um, when I first had my son... I was not sleeping very much. I don't know if that you've experienced that, Craig, with four kids, but I didn't really get much sleep, and I was having a really tough time with it, and I would dread the evening because it'd be like, oh, God, I don't know if he's going to get to sleep. I had so much. My relationship to sleep was one of dread, insecurity, um, stress, really. Um, 
And I thought that it was the lack of sleep that was creating um, the way I was feeling. And I remember my, my mentor at the time having a conversation with someone on a seminar that I was at. And he said, not even your lack of sleep can give you, can give you a bad feeling. And what I heard in that is not even the lack of sleep that I've been having is creating the experience that I've been experiencing, which is one of dread, one of fear, one of, and for three nights, three days, I had this incredible energy. And I realized that all of that thinking that I'd been carrying, that I'd been in, was the very thing that was actually sapping all of my energy, not the lack of sleep. But just that thought process surrounding all of it, huh? All that fear. Yeah, all that fear, all that dread, all that overthinking about needing to sleep and all of that. That's what was really just consuming a lot of my energy. Um, and so when all of that thinking just dropped away, all that was left was energy. Yeah. Space to finally sleep. Finally <laughs> sleep, Yeah. Yeah, our brains are such funny things. I uh, I continually find myself caught in my, what did you call I think you called it like a thought storm earlier. I like that. I don't know if I've heard that phrase before. Um, but constantly find myself just caught up in that, right? Where you're just continually running through shit after shit after shit after shit that you're experiencing or that you're thinking about or that you're fearful about or, and um I mean, it is incredibly draining and it really doesn't free up any room or leave any space for anything else to take place because it takes up so much space all of itself. Yeah. And so we can spend so much time in that overthinking, but actually, um, which, which stops us from seeing the opportunities that are there and how, how beautiful life actually is. So I often hear my clients say nothing on the outside has changed but everything on the inside hurts. And so their experience of their life is one of, it's one of, of, of more peace, one of more contentment, one of more joy, even though nothing on the outside has changed. I'm always interested in the conviction of their story, like not the story itself, but the conviction, how steadfast they hold on to the reality that they they think is 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 real for them and we all do it and so i like to 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 question their conviction because often it's the conviction that's stopping them from seeing something new that would really be quite useful for them um if they saw it in a different way or if they saw what was actually really creating their experience in that moment yeah, I think it's like, I mean, people at times too probably, um, not probably, I, I think definitely they get a, a conviction in a sense to their story, right? Because they have carried it for so long and they've identified themselves this way or that way for so long that they do have that deep connection and that deep bond to even at times when it is unhealthy or the pain associated with it, but it has identified them and they've kind of used it to structure the context and the reality of their life when like you said i mean you know they just have to realize that there's something else out there that they can see things in a different way and approach things in a different way and then free themselves from that conviction of all that pain well marina thank you so much i wish we could talk longer um 
but I do appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast. And what's the easiest way for people to kind of find you, find your work? Um, it's the Joy the joy of Living podcast, is that right? Joy of Being. Joy of Being. Yeah. So if you already listen to this podcast, which shows the energy of love, just type in the Joy of Being and you should be And you can download it onto your iPod or whatever you want, onto your iPhone or Android. Um, and... Um, I also have Joy Scorecard, which really I, I found to be really useful. Um, that can really help people identify where their joy gaps are in their life and how they can fill them. So that's uh, slash scorecard and they can fill that in, and um, we can come up with a joy plan. So, um, so they actually have more time, more space, and more freedom. Awesome. Well, once again, thank you so much, Marina, and I hope you have a wonderful day. You too, my love. Thank you so much, Greg. See, for the longest time, I was so stuck in my head that I completely disregarded the fact I even had a body. My feelings were just letting me know about my thinking in the moment. I had all of these beliefs about myself that just weren't true. I didn't realize that what I was actually searching for was inner peace. So if you're looking for happiness, if you're looking for tranquility, if you're looking just to have a loving and understanding life, what you're really searching for is yourself.